Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Take up that offering. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 today. We're going to... uh, do uh, two services, or we're going to do two passages of Scripture. We're going to switch them up just a little bit today, because today is Serve Link, and I want you to see, uh, have an opportunity uh, to sign up to serve, and so we're going to talk about that today. But God's going to unveil to us today a mystery. In fact, as we read the text in Ephesians 3, you're going to see the word over and over and over, uh, uh, the word mystery. And so I want to give you an illustration to show you uh, how a mystery unfolds, what it is. So in 1797, Napoleon attacked Egypt. So he was actually not successful. He was actually uh, eventually driven out of Egypt. But one of the things that Napoleon loved was archaeology. So as he was fighting in Egypt, he also had archaeological people digging uh, across the country as it went. And so they found this. The most famous stone in all the world. That is the Rosetta Stone. And the Rosetta Stone was found in 1799 by Napoleon's men. Now, what's interesting about the stone is that you'll look and you'll see it's divided into three. The top part is Egyptian hieroglyphics. The middle section is ancient Egyptian writing. The bottom section is ancient Greek writing. And so they were able to use these three sections. This stone was carved uh, of a decree in 196 BC. So 200 years before Jesus, this stone was written and had survived until 1799. Now, what did the stone allow us to do? Let me show you a picture of hieroglyphics. Now think about hieroglyphics for a second. How would you interpret these hieroglyphics? Well, the hawk got hungry, so he ate a beetle, and then there was a squiggly line, and then he got some soup, and, uh, you you know, like, (laughs) I mean, what, that's exactly the problem, is that literally for 2,000 years, no one knew how to interpret hieroglyphics. It is obviously a writing language, but no one knew what it meant. Because of that, no one even knew what ancient Egyptian writing was. So think about the rich history that we have in Egypt, one of the oldest civilizations in the world, very, very integral even to the biblical story when you have Moses and the pharaohs, yet we could not interpret ancient Egyptian language, neither hieroglyphics or the language itself. So we were totally out. We didn't know which pharaoh came and went. We didn't know why they came and went. We didn't know thousands of years of history of how the the pyramids came to be until the Rosetta Stone. Because what we did know is we did know the bottom, which was ancient Greek. And so since these are three, this is three sections of the exact same edict, we were able to translate, we like I did it. Uh, Yeah, but uh, we were able to translate the bottom in ancient Greek And then understand because of that the top hieroglyphics and the middle, which is ancient Egyptian, and therefore unlock the history of Egypt. A mystery had been unknown. And then in one moment when they found the stone, the mystery was revealed. That's what's going to happen to you and I today. God is going to show you a mystery, but then he is going to reveal it to you. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. For this reason, 
I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you've heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave uh, to me for you? The ministry was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to this holy apostles and the uh, prophets by his spirit. So the mystery first comes to a person, a person. Paul says, the mystery was given to me, a person, not the people of the past, a person. So you can write in your notes, a mystery is given to you. Write your name. A mystery is given to you. A mystery is, this is what a mystery is. A mystery is a sacred secret revealed. A sacred secret that's now made known. People have not known. And it's still a secret or mystery to other people, but now you know. God gives the mystery to you. He gives you who he is. He gives you what you are called to do. He gives you new insight into his character and his calling in your life. God unveils a mystery to you. Now, this section starts out and he says, for this reason. For the reason of, Paul says, my calling, which is that the Gentiles are co-heirs with Christ. So we switch these texts. So next week we're going to talk about it. But we're going to talk about the reason that River Valley is intentionally multi-ethnic. We are an intentionally multi-ethnic church. And part of the reason is uh, this text that says God has come not just for a select group of people, but God has come. And he says, now the Gentiles get to be a part of the movement of God. And so we're going to talk about next week why we are intentionally multi-ethnic. But that's what Paul is talking about here. And he says, he's given me this, that I am called to reach the Gentiles. Now, that's fantastic because he says, I've wrote about my testimony before, but if you don't know it, let me tell you Paul's testimony. So Paul was a Jew among all Jews. He was raised in a Jewish lineage. His parents were uh, of a very strong, there are 12 tribes in Israel. His parents were from a very prominent tribe in Israel. He was raised among people who were Jewish in their heritage in every way possible. But he also chose Judaism and that he learned, he learned the religion. He learned everything about him. In fact, Paul was a member of the Pharisees. To be a member of the Pharisees, you had to have at least the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. At least many of them would have had the entire Old Testament memorized word for word. They would have known the entire Old Testament word for word. And Paul is raised in this culture. He's also taught by one of the preeminent rabbis of his day. So he is a Jew's Jew. So you can imagine how amazingly disappointed he was and then how angry he became when Jesus came and began to win Jews over to Christianity. Jews were saying, we're no longer uh, people of the Old Testament. We are the people of God, of Christ, because Jesus is the Messiah. Paul hated it. He wanted nothing of that. So Paul began to persecute the Christians. The first time it happened, Stephen was the first person who's lost his life for the cause of Christ. The Bible says that men uh, stoned him until he was dead, and Paul was there, and he was holding their coats, watching, and the Bible says he was giving approval. It means he was cheering on. Last night, we went to uh, Feed the Need, uh, had a banquet, and 
Got to see them uh, raise some money. Great mission organization that we love here uh, at River Valley. Got to support them. It was kind of funny, though. Everywhere you looked along the way, uh, a lot of men, some women, you could see them looking down like this because as the banquet's going on, they're watching the football game simultaneous. And so so more than once when UT would score, people would be like, whoo, and then they would think, oh, yeah, thank you. There's a good bid over there uh, because they were having an auction. And so people were like, no, 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 I'm just excited UT's finally winning. And uh, so, you, you know, that's right. You heard me. And so, uh, so, but, but they were, they were applauding and cheering. You could see the smiles of, of the people as, as, as uh, the Longhorns beat Alabama last night. Paul says, it's exactly what I did, except I was cheering when people were dying because I hated Christians. So on the road to Damascus, God strikes Paul off his horse and strikes him blind. And God speaks to him. And the people who are there hear this conversation. So this isn't something that's happening in Paul's head. This is something that's happening verbally out loud. And he says, who are you? And God says, I'm Christ who you are persecuting. And Paul's like, uh-oh, I think I'm on the wrong side. And so he's, he's blind for three days. God sends a man named Ananias that, that would pray over him. And he would, he, as his eyes, the Bible says scales, something that looked like scales fell off his eyes and he could see again. And then God calls Paul and he says, I want to reveal a mystery to you today, Paul. You're called to preach. And I'm sure Paul's thinking, oh, of course to the Jews because I, I was uh, a Jew's Jew and now I'm going to be a Christian. And no, no, I want you to go to the Gentiles. I want you to go to a different group of people people that you weren't raised around, people that you don't understand, people that your people call dogs. He's talking about you and I, by the way. Very few of us have a Jewish lineage in this family, and they would call us dogs. They're not worthy to have, to have the God of the universe know them. And yet Paul says, no, 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 we are co-heirs of Christ. A mystery was revealed to him. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose in your life. God has a calling for what he wants you to do. God doesn't just want to save you and keep you on earth until you go to heaven. He has a purpose, and this mystery is revealed. And the Bible says it wasn't revealed to people. It was revealed to a person, to you. He has a purpose for your life. He truly, truly does. So how do you find out what that is? Let's look at verse 6 and 7. So the purpose of the mystery is first um, to a person, but secondly, it is uh, to a people. It is for a people. So verse 6 and 7 says, The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body. They're partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And he says, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. So Paul says several things there. He says, I was made, this, this uh, mystery was revealed to me so that it could be given to other people. And he says, I was made a servant to them by God's grace. So God's grace is not just so that you can get saved. Absolutely, it's so that you can get saved, but that's not the end of God's grace. He gives you grace in a calling. He gives you grace and a purpose. He gives you grace and power to fulfill that purpose that is supernatural in nature. That's way beyond how good you are. That's way beyond that. So let me give you my, my favorite illustration. This is by far my favorite preacher of all time. This is a picture of Billy Graham. 
I love Billy Graham. Anybody here, uh, I met somebody in the early service. Anybody here actually get saved in Billy Graham's ministry? Anybody? You did? Nice. Fantastic. Anybody else? So uh, Billy Graham, a tremendous, tremendous ministry. But let me tell you how, before I tell you something about his ministry, let me tell you how it started. So Billy Graham was raised in Boone, North Carolina uh, to a farming family, Christian family, but a farming family, got saved and felt called into the ministry. So at 18 years old, uh, went off to college and never preached a sermon, but he knew God was calling him into ministry. So uh, he, he had never preached before and didn't really know how to exegete a passage or anything. So he, he bought a preaching magazine and in the preaching magazine, it had four sermon outlines in this preaching magazine. So, so uh, he, uh, here's a, here's a passage of scripture and here's some points about it and he memorized all four of those sermons because he knew sometime he would be called out to preach so he, he wanted to be ready so it happened uh it happened he was traveling as the assistant to the to the president of the college he's 18 years old and they asked the president to preach and he said i can't but billy can he will i'll send him tonight so billy said but i was ready i had i had some sermon memorized he preached his first sermon bostic baptist church just north of tampa 40 people in attendance he got up, and this man that would take the world by storm, he preached a sermon, and it lasted eight minutes. Oh, and he said, not only did it only last eight minutes, he said, I got so nervous, I preached the outlines of all four sermons in eight minutes. And so he said, he said I, would read, I would say a text and give all the points, and then say another text and give all the points. He did that four times. So people were like, whoa, where, where, where's he going here? Yeah, you know, I mean, can you imagine how confusing that sermon was? Afterwards, someone came up to Billy Graham and said, son, you need to keep studying or you're never going to make it. So that's the encouragement that he had. So, but he did make it. Here's one of my favorite pictures. Here's Billy Graham preaching to over a million people simultaneously in person in Seoul, South Korea. Billy Graham and his ministry preached in person, not through his books or magazines, not through his uh, television or radio ministry, not even through his films, but in person to 250 million people in his lifetime. He preached to more people uh, than anyone has ever had in the history of the world, had more converts than anyone has ever had in the history of the world. I got to see Billy Graham uh, preach twice uh, live. Anyone ever get to see Billy Graham preach? It was fantastic. What struck me about Billy Graham preaching was not his sermon. He was a good preacher and it was good delivery, but it wasn't like, oh, wow. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't overwhelming. The overwhelming part was when he gave people the opportunity to give their life to Jesus Christ, and boom, you felt the Spirit begin to work. I saw him in the late 90s in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. At that point, the Alamo Dome was well over 10 years old. It had never sold out for one single event, not a rock concert, not a basketball game, nothing. Billy Graham filled it five nights in a row. It was unbelievable, and when he would give an invitation, you could feel the Spirit of God moving, and you saw, I saw thousands of people get saved. It was unbelievable. Why? Because God had given him a calling to a people, and he started out in Bostic Baptist Church to 40 people and preached a really bad sermon, and God continued to grow him and use him. Today we have ServeLink, and we have an opportunity for you to begin to discover your calling in ministry, your calling of what God has equipped and called you to do.
Now, several things are going to keep you from doing that. One of them is this kind of false humility. You're like, well, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. You're like, no one is. No one is. Another thing that'll keep you is you're like, well, you know, we have this idea that I need to be awesome immediately or I'm not going to do anything. If I have to learn and progress, then I'm not going to do anything. Listen, anything worth doing well is worth doing really badly at first. I mean, anything to go out there and to find a ministry, but to give it your all and absolutely to improve and to think about it, but to start is the way that you are going to find the calling that God has for you. Even if it's in an area that you're like this, you know, like this is not it, but I promise you, God will move you and transition you and use you. And then there will be a moment you're like, oh, I like this. Like God uses me in this. I'm not really that good at it yet. But God uses me tremendously in this area. See, the Bible says in this verses that we just read in verse uh, seven, uh, seven, he says, uh, with God's power, with God's power. It's not your ability. It's not God um, giving you this kind of supernatural where you're an all-star right away. It's with God's power that he uses you to the people that he has called you to to the ministry and the area that he has called you to. How does he do that? Let's keep on going. Verse 8. He gives us another synopsis in 8 and 9. He says, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints. So remember, don't say to me, uh, you know, well, I'm not worthy. Paul is saying, I persecuted, I put Christians in jail. I persecuted them. Paul's saying, and yet he gave me a calling. So it's the same for you. And what was that calling? To proclaim the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for them about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who credited all things. So he's giving them this again. Here's the key in verse 10. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. God's work comes through the church. God's mystery is made known through the church. He wants you to know who he is, and it happens through the church. That's how God gives us his multifaceted wisdom. Because sometimes you'll have people, I can worship anywhere. That's, you know, yes, that's absolutely true. But for you to say that, and what you're really meaning is I don't need to go to church, then you're missing out on what God says he does. And he says, I've got a mystery to reveal to you. And guess where it's coming? In the church. I'm bringing you the message through the church. And all of us have a place in this. I was um, getting coached uh, uh, by a big name pastor, big, big church. And, uh, there was maybe 20 of us pastors and he was, he was coaching us and, and, uh, he had a, a TV up and we were, you know, we're, uh, doing some PowerPoint stuff and everything. And when it got over, uh, some guys came in and they moved out the TV and he says, you guys want to know a cool story? He said, those two guys that moved out the TV, he said, they're part of our cleaning crew. He said, we don't pay them. They, they come in and this is their service. This is what they, they do in the church. He goes, he goes I, I bet you can't, can't tell, but one of those guys is a bouncer at a bar. You knew which one. He was huge. I mean, he was huge. He looked like, you know, like I like eating people's heads for breakfast. I mean, he was so big. I mean, just, just massive and muscly and kind of had a, like a mean look. He said, he's super nice guy, but he just has that... 
He said, he's such a good bouncer because he never has to get in a fight. He just looks at people and goes, stop that. And people go, yes, sir, can I give you some money? I mean, that, he said, he's like a really good bouncer. That's his, that's his job. He said, the other guy, he said, is the most prominent lawyer in our town. He said he's the most well-known lawyer in our town, but they're both up here serving, and today they're serving you pastors, and he said they're serving together through the church. God has a ministry for all of us in the church, in River Valley, every single one of us. Like, I think you guys get to see it a little bit more. I told, I told the first service, you know, the first service, let's, let's be honest. You guys are like optimal time. You don't have to wake up early. You don't have to wait too late. That's fine. I get it. First service, they're committed. I mean, they are here. They're, they're on time, which is crazy. Let's be honest. The 11-11 service, never on time. I mean, I don't know what those people do. I'm telling you right now. And I'm going to say that to them next service, so it's fine. All right? So, uh, so I'm not talking bad about them behind their back. I'll talk it to their face. And uh, so, but, but, but you guys, you guys are getting to see it. You guys are getting to see us start to fill up. You guys are getting to, like, it, it's been amazing what God is doing. I mean, like truly, truly amazing. I've prayed for this for long periods of time, but we're actually seeing and unfold this through the church. God is bringing his manifold wisdom to the people of Bastrop and Cedar Creek. And it's, it's been tremendous to watch and unfold. And he wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to see all that he's doing. He wants you to be a part of bringing it about in, in this place. It's amazing what is happening. And it's amazing the opportunities that he really does have a calling and a gifting for you. I think a lot of times when we talk about serving, you're like, you know, we think about this idea of like just this really hard, horrible thing. You're like, well, I'll just, I'll do it for Jesus. And uh, I asked the children's ministry, which we always need help in because we have so, so many children right now. I asked her, I was like, what's your biggest need in children? She said, honestly, the biggest need in children right now is the people that would come in in our early childhood rooms and they would play with kids. That's our biggest need right now. She said, we have teachers, but we said, as we're starting class and everything, we have people that, need to, that, that are in there that, that just play with early childhood kids. Listen, did you know that you can get rewards uh, in God's kingdom in heaven for playing Legos? I mean, it's true. I mean, really and truly. Like, you get, I, I went back there to, to see them, and I watched, I watched all these men playing with these kids, and I, it was so much fun to watch. I mean, there's rich rewards for doing that in the church, for God kingdom to come and be expressed in so many different ways. Uh, you saw, the, you saw the, the band this morning. I hope that one of the things that you love about our worship team is you're like, hey, there's a new person. Like, I, I hope that you see that. I mean, I hope that you see people that have been here a long, long time, but I hope that you're also like, oh, new person. Oh, they're singing. Let's, let's hear how they do. Right? I mean, you, you know, it's fun, isn't it? Listen, we want you to be a part of, well, we want those of you who are called to be a part of that. Uh, not all of you, really. Uh, but <laughs> I was like, Stephen, Stephen's in this service because they're out in server link. He's like, not everybody, not everybody. Uh, yeah, you know, so, but I mean, it's true. There's so many, so many wonderful needs, but it happens through the church. God brings the wisdom of the world through the church, and we need you to be a part of that. How do you find that calling? How do you find that gifting? You start 
you start, listen, you, like don't, don't try to shortchange it and, and, you know, go take some spiritual gift test or something. God's going to show you, but God's going to show you in motion, but you've got to start. You've got to start and God's going to, oh, I'm good at this. I'm, I'm with God's power. I'm spiritually gifted to do this. And he's going to show you some amazing, wonderful things. I asked a friend of mine this week, because I have a ministry in the church, but you know, mine's a little bit different. Everybody understands that. This is my job. This is, uh, and so this is what I do full time. Uh, but I asked this person who, who that wasn't, you know, she's just a, a server in the church. And I said, tell me about serving in the church. And, and I said, tell me what, it, what it's like. And she said, she said, let me tell you several things. She said, first of all, when we first came here and, and sermon just like this. She said, we heard that and we signed up. She said, it helped us so much. She goes, because we had always been tempted. Well, like today we'll sleep in or this, we'll do this and, and, and not be quite as, as faithful as we should have been. She goes, but serving helped us like, no, we, we've, you know, like helped us commit, helped us get there. And she said, no bones about it. Like she goes, because of that, like we're preaching through Ephesians right now. She said, in the past we'd have heard, you know, a, a, a sermon from chapter one and then we'd come back in chapter four and you know finished up in chapter six and heard a little bit she said now we heard the whole thing and god's god's wisdom began to unfold to us because we were serving as well and she said also she said we met people through our serving she said we know a lot of people through our groups but she said we have a lot of friends through serving together and they're close personal friends and she said lastly she said we went to serve others she said but i cannot tell you how much we grew in serving people. God was speaking to us and God was showing us and God was using us. And so that was her testimony of what God has done through serving in our church. Verse 12 ends up and he has a prayer for all of this service that I want to show you. He says, here's his prayer. He said, in Christ, we have boldness, we have confidence, and we have access through faith in him. So he says, we have three things in our prayers. We have boldness. We can pray boldly. He says, we have confidence in that God answers prayer. But he also says, we have access to him. See, today, if you are a child of God, you have access to him. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you really can go to the God of the universe and have him hear your prayers. You really have direct and complete and constant access to him through Jesus Christ. If you've given your life to Christ, that believing that he died on the cross for you, believing that he was crucified for your sins, believing that he was raised on the third day, if you have given him your life in that way, you have access to God. And then he says, how should you use that access? Pray boldly. Don't pray small prayers. Don't pray this far out of your reach. Don't even stretch goal it and pray this far. He says, pray so boldly. You're like, I don't know how this would even be answered. But God, you can do great and wonderful things. And then pray with confidence that he can actually and he will actually answer prayers. So in the mystery of Christ, you can have access, you can have boldness, you can have confidence. Let's use all of these three right now as we pray. I want to invite you to bow your heads right where you are. First, do you have access to Christ in salvation? That you are a child of God right where you are today. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for the sin of the world. He lived a perfect and sinless life. Think about that. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way, just like you and I. 
He knows what it's like to look at sin and get, man, that looks good. He knows what that's like. But the Bible says he is without sin. Every single time he said no, Jesus is perfect. And so because of that, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't deserve it. But instead, he took our sin upon himself, yours and mine. Jesus took it on his back, and he carried it to the cross, our sin. And Jesus, who had never had a severed relationship with God the Father, because he had never sinned, Jesus experienced God's wrath against all of the sin of the world, against yours and against mine on the cross. Jesus took that punishment that we deserved, but that we couldn't pay for us. Jesus took it and died for it. He was buried, and on Easter Sunday, Jesus came alive. He was resurrected. So today, if you would like to have Christ come into your life and be your Lord, you believe the gospel story that I just gave you. That's my job, by the way. That's my calling, is to tell you the gospel. If today you say, I want to accept this story of this great, wonderful God, Jesus, into my life, pray and ask him, God, will you give me salvation? Thank him for his death on the cross and ask him to apply it to your life. Declare that he is your Lord. You will follow him and believe that he was raised from the dead. Now, for those who have either just done that or done that in the past, what's a bold prayer you need to pray? A bold prayer is, is oftentimes like you don't even know how it would be answered. <clears throat> you don't know how it would come about. I've got all these bold prayers because we've got all these new people coming into our, our church right now. We're about to begin another building campaign to accommodate all of, all of the growth that God is doing. Man, bold prayers for that in my life. What's bold prayers that you need to pray to God right now? God, I'm asking for this. Pray it. Pray it boldly. Pray bold prayers for our church. I'm going to show you one verse, and one verse I want you to pray, pray specifically for our, our church. This is Matthew 9, 37 and 38. It's on the screen. The Bible said, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant. Is that not true in our, in, in our place and time? Does anyone here doubt that, that Bastrop and Cedar Creek has an abundant harvest? I mean, the churches aren't full, and there's people everywhere who aren't coming to Christ. The harvest is abundant. Here's the problem. The workers are few. We have some space to grow right now. We have some resources. We, the, the problem most often is that we have too few people helping. The workers are few. So here's the solution, verse 38. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to pray a bold prayer. God, help us 
in group link today, send out workers into the harvest field. Pray for the people around you. At least half of the people in this room are going to be so tempted to not sign up. At least. You know, I just kind of like just coming to church every now and then. I don't commit. I don't, I, I'm, I'm really busy. I don't know what I would do. I don't know, I don't know what God's calling me to. Like a million excuses are running through their minds right now. Pray, God, send out workers into the harvest field because we have an abundant harvest. This is a wonderful place for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we pray for Servlink today. Have people explore what it would mean to serve in different areas. God, have people, you know, this is where I'm going to start. Show them what their calling is, God. Father, we pray that just as the harvest is abundant, that you would send out workers into the harvest field. Now pray with confidence. All those prayers that you just prayed, the bold prayers for you, the bold prayers for the church, the harvest prayer for serving today, pray with confidence. Confidence in saying, God, I'm saying thank you now as if you've already answered the prayer. I am in faith praising you now as if this has already come to pass. Many of these prayers will unfold in days or weeks or months or years. But I'm praising you right now, and I'm saying in confidence, thank you, Jesus, for answering my prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you today for the way that you are, uh, have called people to Jesus Christ as Lord. God, we thank you today for how you have um, called people in their individual lives to pray bold prayers. God, I thank you for serve link and what's about to happen as you uh, unleash people to serve and to find out their gifting and their calling in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for those who are about to find that. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.